uh, a good friend of mine, Derek, uh, and I were on Wednesday night for prayer. And uh, before we were praying for him, he was just like, Michael, it's been amazing. Just these past two weeks, I feel like I'm having to update my testimony over these past two weeks. And it really just hit me when he said that, that if Jesus is a part or a piece of your life, your story, your testimony will be very similar to what your story and testimony was years and years and years ago. But when Jesus is your life, you will constantly having to be editing your story. You will have to be updating your story and your testimony because God's got new things for you. Uh, and so I was really encouraged when he said, I am having to update my testimony uh, just over these past two weeks. Uh, and that's my heart, is that this fall, you were like, I, I totally have to update my, my story once again. Uh, and I hope that for you tonight as well. Uh, we're talking about what I would call kind of a tricky topic or trippy, tricky subject. Uh, we're talking about our mind. Uh, and really, the message is just entitled, Jesus is not part of my thoughts. Um, now, I dated Kyla. Uh, Kyla's my wife. We've been married for almost 17 years. And uh, we met at The Ohio State University. And uh, we dated for about five years, and we were one of the annoying couples. You know how there's couples who are just like, wow, you guys are really annoying. Well, we were one of those annoying couples because we were on again, off again. Uh, in the span of a five-year dating relationship, we broke up, probably without exaggeration, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, on again, off again. And really, the one question that caused so much conflict in our relationship uh, and we haven't asked each other this question in 17 years, uh, but it took us a while in our dating relationship to figure this out. But the question that we asked each other in the dating relationship, and I would encourage you not to do this, is what are you thinking about? Every time we asked each other that question, it led to this incredible conflict of, well, why are you thinking that? Well, I don't know. You asked me what I was thinking about, and I, that's what I was thinking about, and somehow my thoughts would cause conflict or I would say, why don't you just tell me what you're thinking about? And she would say, I don't know what I'm thinking about. I'm like, you know what you're thinking about. And it would just cause this incredible tension between us of the question, what are you thinking about? Now, hopefully this isn't going to cause tension or conflict with us tonight. But I would ask you, what are you thinking about right now? And I don't mean like, what were you thinking about this week or even before? But like right now, in this moment, what is it that you are thinking about? Now, I'm going to guess some of you are like, well, I'm thinking about what you're saying so far. I'm trying to track with that. Uh, some of you might be saying, well, I'm kind of thinking about when this is going to end so I can go home and go to bed and sleep in tomorrow because it's a holiday. Or some of you might be thinking, I didn't have dinner and I'm excited to go to a restaurant after all of this is over. Some of you might be honestly saying, Michael, you, have, you really don't want to know what I'm thinking about right now. Uh, and so this is, it's a big question. What is it you're thinking uh, about? Now, the hard reality about that question is our minds, our thoughts, uh, we often lack control over them. We often lack control over how our mind works or how quickly our thoughts work. I don't know if this resonates, but have you ever just been, you, you kind of caught yourself and you're like, why am I thinking about that? Where did that thought even come from? And why can't I get that thought out of my head? And sometimes you're even thinking about it before you even realize you're thinking about it. And you're like, Gosh, how long have I been thinking about this? And it's been maybe moments or maybe it's been hours, but why is it you're even thinking about and why can't I stop thinking uh, about these things? Now, according to Google, uh, Google would say that uh, the average person on an average day has 60,000 thoughts. 
60,000 thoughts. And out of those 60,000 thoughts that you and I would have, 80% of those thoughts are negative. Now, I didn't take the time to to research, and is that really true that we have that many thoughts and 80% of them are negative? But if that's even close to being true, then my question would be, how many of the 60,000 thoughts that you had today are leading you to actually love God more? How many of the 60,000 thoughts that you had today so far, um, or the thousands of thoughts that you had so far, are actually leading you to love the people around you more? If Jesus said the most important thing that we can do with our lives is to love God and to love people, then with the 60,000 thoughts that you and I have on an average day, how many of those thoughts are leading you towards loving God and towards loving people? Uh, Last fall, uh, if you're new to Genesis, we have something called redemption groups. And uh, last fall, my wife Kyle and I went through the redemption group process, and it was challenging, it was inspiring, it was hard. It's hard when you have people asking you hard questions and uh, kind of, you know, really challenge you on, on, on certain things. And I remember my redemption group leader asked me what I would call a game-changing question. And the game-changing, meaning things were different for me after that. Uh, the question that he asked me is, Michael, what has consumed your thoughts over this past week? What has consumed your thoughts? Like, what, he asked me, what have you, you been thinking about? And I answered, and I told him what I'd been thinking about, and he lovingly but firmly said, Well, Michael, there you go. That's your idol. That's what you worship. And he went on to tell me that, Michael, your your thoughts, what you think about is probably the best reflection of what you worship, uh, what you adore. And I remember when he told me that, and my heart kind of sank because I just felt so sick to my stomach at what I realized at what I had been worshiping, what I had literally been bending my knee to in worship and giving my, my thoughts and my mind too because I realized it was me. And it was such a hard moment. It's that hard moment when you wake up and you're like, wow, I'm obsessed with myself. I'm consumed with me. I'm consumed with thinking about me. And when he asked me what had I been thinking about this past week or what had been consuming my mind over the past week, what had been consuming my mind was people, what they thought of me, uh, people if they affirmed me, people if they liked me, people if they respected me. And I was just consumed with thoughts, not of what people, but I was consumed with myself. And I was just sick to my stomach over that. And I realized, you know, well, if Jesus is part of my life, then he'll be part of my thoughts. Uh, And I'll think about Jesus when it makes sense to think about Jesus. I'll think about Jesus when I go to church. But when I'm not in church or when I'm not around maybe other Christians, uh, then my thoughts are going to reflect things that have nothing to do with Jesus. So if he's part of my life, he'll be part of my thoughts. But if he's part of my life and part of my thoughts, 59,999 of my thoughts on an average day are going to be consumed with thinking about me. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment, but I woke up about a year ago. It's like, I'm tired of thinking about me. I'm tired of always being obsessed and consumed with me and what people think of me, what people have to say about me. Uh, And I didn't want that anymore. And I realized if I didn't want that anymore, then Jesus can't be part of my thoughts anymore. I want Jesus to be all of my thoughts. Um, So tonight, my heart for our time together is that you would be encouraged, but that you would be challenged to say, I've been there, and I might actually be there right now. Uh, And my heart for you would be say, I don't want Jesus to be part of my thoughts anymore. I want Jesus to be all of my thoughts. So 
I'm going to give you a quiz. All right, here's the quiz. It's five questions. And these questions are geared to help you think through, is Jesus part of your thoughts? Is Jesus kind of a piece of your thoughts? Or does Jesus actually have all of your thoughts? So five questions. Question one, are you prone to think the worst in people? Are you prone to think immediately the worst in people? Something happens, someone does something, says something, and your immediate thought is thinking the worst in that person, that they're doing that, they said that, because they're trying to get you. Uh, they're trying to hurt you. So initial thought is the worst. Second question, are your thoughts generally toxic? What I mean by toxic is are what's consuming your thoughts, what's living in your headspace, things like anger and bitterness and lust and anxiety and fear and worry. So are your thoughts, generally speaking, are they toxic? Question three, are you prone to rewind and replay past sins and failures, whether they're yours or whether they're someone else's? You cannot stop hitting the rewind button on the things that you've done wrong. Uh, you cannot stop replaying in your mind's eye things that other people have done wrong. Question four, are you prone towards drunk thoughts about yourself? One of the things that scripture says is to have sober judgment of how you think about yourself. So when you think about yourself, are you drunk on yourself, meaning you have a very elevated view of who you are? You think very highly of yourself. And then question five, are thoughts of God far and few between? Meaning, could you go an entire day and you got your to-do list done, you got everything done that you wanted to get done, but you got to the end of your day and you're like, man, I didn't even think about God. I didn't have like a conscious thought, at least an aware thought of God and who God is and what God was doing. I just literally coasted or spent my entire day and I didn't have any thoughts, uh, or at least conscious thoughts, of God. Now, I realize it would be easy for all of us to say, Michael, that's a ridiculous quiz. Who could possibly answer any of those questions favorably? Now, I'm the one who came up with that quiz, and I failed it miserably on all fronts. But I'm not discouraged by that. I'm encouraged to say, well, that's because Jesus is a piece or a part of my thoughts. I don't want Jesus to be a piece or a part of my thoughts. I want Jesus to be all of my thoughts. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 is really encouraging to me uh, because the Apostle Paul kind of speaks into this. Is Jesus is going to be a piece of your thoughts. He's going to be all of your thoughts. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 2, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. And Paul, in that moment, he doesn't say we have a part of the mind of Christ. We have a piece of the mind of Christ. Paul's able to say, who can know the Lord's thoughts? And he goes on to say, well, I can understand the things of God. I can understand the things of the Lord. Why? Well, because he's given me the mind of Christ. Not a piece, not a part of the mind of Christ, but we have the mind of Christ. And my encouragement for all of us tonight is you would leave here is you could say, well, because Jesus is not piece of my life or part of my life, he is my life, therefore I have the mind of Christ. And no matter where I am or who I'm with or what I'm doing, I can literally have the mind of Christ. I can think the thoughts that Christ wants me to be thinking, not the thoughts that leave me thinking, why am I thinking that? And so I'm really challenged but really encouraged 
by we have been given the mind of Christ. Uh, now, before I share uh, some thoughts for me, what I have been learning personal, and I want to be as personal as I can, uh, I want to share with you tonight some things that have been incredibly helpful for me cultivating the mind of Christ. Because I don't want to have a piece or a part of Jesus as my thoughts. I want to have Jesus forming all of my thoughts, all 60,000 of them. I'm a long way from that, but I'm headed in that direction. Uh, before I share with you some thoughts on what I've been learning, I, I wanted to share some observations. And I share with you these observations, and I'm going to share with you three observations that have been helpful to me understanding my mind. Observations that have been helpful to me understanding my thoughts and why I think the way I think. Uh, because if you understand at least these observations, uh, I do believe it's going to be helpful in how we actually apply living out Jesus is my thoughts, not just part of my thoughts. So my first observation that I would give you is this. Number one, your mind, it's a gift from God. Your mind is a gift from God. You're not a robot. You're not a puppet. You don't have pre-programmed ideas that you're just spitting out or regurgitating something that someone put in. God has given you a mind to think, to wonder, to dream, to question, to learn. God has given you a mind to wonder about him. God has given you the ability to understand who he is. God's given you a, a mind to wonder what he is like. That is an incredible gift that God has given. Uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said this, without doubt, the mightiest thought that the mind can entertain is a thought of God. That is an incredible gift that God has given you, the ability to think about him, the ability to wonder about him. So your mind, it is a gift. Now, for me, when I understand something as a gift in my life, generally speaking, two things happen. Uh, I, Kyla is a gift. She, I don't, she is an absolute gift to me. Marriage and the marriage relationship that God has given me with Kyla is an absolute gift. And because I'm convinced it's a gift from God to me in my life, one of the things that I do is I protect that gift. I guard that gift. I mean, I'm not going to let anything come between me and Kyla and the gift that God has given me in that relationship. So if I believe that my mind is a gift from God to me, then one of the things that I will do is I will guard my mind. If you understand that your mind is a gift, then you'll guard it. So when things like anxiety and fear and worry uh, want to come in and take up residence in your mind, well, you know those things are going to trash your mind. You know things like lust and all of those things. You don't let them in. Why? Well, because my mind is a gift, and I'm going to guard the gift that God has given me and the mind that he has given me. Now, for years, two things that trashed my mind, two things that literally trashed my mind. Number one was anger. If you would have known me years ago, uh, I was not the outwardly angry person, um, meaning you'd never see me losing it and swearing and cussing and kicking and punching and screaming, but I was the inwardly angry person. And my mind was just filled with so much anger and so much bitterness and so much hatred. And I allowed anger and hatred into my mind, and it just trashed my mind. And for years, uh, my, my battle, my addiction with pornography trashed my mind. I allowed so much junk into my brain that it literally trashed my brain. And I allowed those things into my mind for years and years and years. Well, because Jesus was just part of my mind. He didn't have all of it. 
if I believe, and I do believe, if I believe that my mind is a gift from God to me, then I'll protect it. I will guard it. So when lust or worry or fear or whatever comes knocking on the mind's door, I don't open it. Why? Well, that's going to trash my mind, and I don't let that in. A second thing that I do if I'm convinced that my mind is a gift from God uh, is this. I fill it. I fill my mind. I fill my mind with things that are going to challenge, are going to grow, that are going to help me love and understand God more. Now, I'm going to, if I ask the question, how many of you battle worry? I'm going to guess all of us at some level have worry in our life. And one of the things that is really challenging when our brain is and our thoughts are just given over to worry or anxiety, and we can't break the cycle. I wrote it down in my journal like this. It's impossible to stop worrying on an empty mind. It's impossible to stop worrying on a mind that is empty. If your mind is empty and it has not been filled, then what do you battle worry with? If you've not filled your mind with things like, but God is good. God is loving. God is caring. God is sovereign. In the midst of trying to worry and, and battle worry, well, you've got nothing to speak up against the worry or the anxiety that you have in your life. A filled mind fuels a life of faith. And so for me, my mind is a gift from God. Your mind, it is a gift from God. If you know that and believe that, you will guard your mind and you will fill your mind. Philippians 4, and I really love this verse uh, that Paul says, and he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what's true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's what we are to fix our thoughts on. That, to me, is a great picture of one who is Jesus isn't part of my mind or part of my thoughts, but he's all of my thoughts. I am fixing all of my thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things. Now, if you don't guard your mind, if you don't fill your mind, you're going to have a really difficult time in life saying, wow, that person has life. There is joy there. There is peace. If you would have met me years ago, you would not have looked at me and be like, wow, that guy, man, he's got joy. He's got peace. You would have looked and said, what's wrong with that person? Why is he so angry? What is going on? Well, I wasn't fixing my mind. I wasn't guarding my mind on the things that God wanted me to be filling it with. That's one observation. A second observation I give you is this. Your mind is influencing your actions more than you know. And I know you know that your mind influences your actions, but I wrote it down. Your mind is influencing your actions more than you know. In short, where your mind goes, your life is going to follow. So what, you're, what you've been thinking about is really driving what your life is currently looking like, who you are, what you're doing, how you're acting, how you're reacting. Uh, I moved to Boston 10 years ago from the great city of Chicago, and I remember when I came, people were like, oh, you're going to have a hard time with traffic, and people are crazy here in Boston. Uh, and after living here for a couple years, I was like, wow, people in Boston, you really need to go visit Chicago to see what traffic actually looks like. Uh, but when I lived in Chicago, again, I was not your typical road rager. Uh, I'm not like putting fingers up in the air. I'm not screaming or cussing or any of that kind of stuff. But I was what was called a follower. When I was driving, and if someone would do something, and it just they'd break too quickly, they'd cut me off. They do something to annoy me or frustrate me. Uh, what I would do 
is I would just follow them. And I remember many, many times, Kyla, I go, what are you doing right now? What do you mean? Well, you're driving pretty close to this person. What are you doing? Like, well, I just, I'm sticking with them to see where they go next. Huh. Well, why are you driving so close to them? I, I just want them to know that I care about them. <laughs> and then when I got tired of following, and this wasn't like a 10-second thing. This was like miles. And then I'd pull up next to them, and I'd just stare at them because I just want them to know how much they put me out. And there would be times where Kyle would be like, you realize you're an idiot right now, right? And I'm like, I know. But my mind was so filled with anger and annoyance and frustration that it led me to do such stupid things. So the way I wrote down this question, your mind is influencing your actions more than you know. How is your mind currently influencing your life? Where is your mind causing or leading you to go? Now, that might be a silly example for some, and I know you might not battle in the car, but where is your mind leading you to go with your life? Romans uh, chapter 8, Paul says it really well, the Apostle Paul, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, well, they think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind, it leads to life and peace. I was like, oh, man, I'm that first guy. My mind is controlled by the sinful things in, in, my, in my head and my thoughts and my brain. And it's leading me to do sinful, selfish, stupid things. But a mind that is controlled, not a piece of it or a part of it, but a mind that is controlled, it says all of my thoughts, is, it leads to life and to peace. So your mind, it's influencing you right now probably more than you realize. That's a pretty important observation. And the third final observation would be this. Your mind, it's a battlefield. Your mind is a battlefield. And I've already shared a little bit of this, but there have been many a day where I would be embarrassed if my thoughts, if my brain were, say, on the screen behind me, and you could see what I think about. Be absolutely humiliating and embarrassing. My gosh, why am I thinking this? Where did that thought even come from? It's not like I intentionally wanted to be thinking about that, but I could be walking through my day or I could be meeting or talking with someone and have the appearance of listening and being very intent on what they're saying, but my mind is thinking about the weirdest, craziest things. And I get so frustrated. Why am I doing that? Why is my mind so quickly to lose it? And my observation is your mind, my mind, It is a battlefield. Now, I take great comfort when the Apostle Paul said as much, where he said himself that his mind, it is a battlefield. In Romans 7, I love God's law. This is Paul. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. This is Paul saying, I really love God. And I really love God. God, walking with God, knowing God, understanding God, but there is something going on in my mind. There's something that is happening in my thoughts that it causes my mind to drift. Again, if you know that your mind is a battlefield, uh, well, then you'll be prepared every single day to fight for your mind. You'll be prepared every single day to go through that day ready to fight. And I like how Paul says it again in Corinthians 
chapter 10, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And I just love this picture, and this has been so helpful for me over the years. Is that thought that I'm thinking, is it for Christ? Is it about Christ? If it's not, then it's not getting in. It's not getting in. And when it it got in, without me even realizing it got in, it gets out really quick. I, I love this picture of Paul says, I know my mind, it's a battlefield, but I'm taking captive. I am fighting that every thought uh, to make it obedient to Christ. Does Jesus want me thinking about this? No, then it's gone. Does he want me dwelling on this? No, then I won't. Does he want me replaying this again and again and again in my head and in my mind? No, then I won't. And so I just, if you know that your mind is a battlefield, you will be prepared every day to fight for your mind and not to allow thoughts in that have nothing to do with what Jesus would want us thinking about. Again, those are just some observations, but if we would live with Jesus not being part of our thoughts, uh, but living out the mind of Christ, we need to understand that your mind's a gift, your thoughts, your mind is influencing the life that you are living right now, and understand the complexity of our minds and thoughts, that it is a battlefield. Um, Now, before uh, we go home tonight, Uh, I wanted to share with you some personal things for me of this is how I'm growing. I would say about 59,999 thoughts are still often consumed with me. Uh, But I I want all 60,000 to be about Jesus, all of them, not just some of them, not a few of them, not a few thousand of them, but I want to be able to go through all of my day, no matter who I'm with, where I'm at, all of my thoughts are about Jesus and informed or formed by Jesus. And here are some things that have been helping me along the way. Number one would be this, uh, fascinated with the gospel, a growing fascination with the gospel. Uh, Our minds have a way of quickly and often getting fascinated with things that are really not that fascinating. We get fascinated with things that entertain us, whether it's songs or concerts or sporting events or movies, but if you would grow in not having a piece or part of your thoughts, but all of your thoughts formed by Jesus, then there will be a growing fascination with the gospel. So let me ask the question, what has been fascinating your mind? What has been fascinating? What just as you think about it, what has been fascinating? It is inspiring. It's challenging. It is so encouraging. What has been occupying your thoughts the most recently? Now, when I wrestled with that question and really thinking back to my time in redemption groups a year ago, I was really convicted by my answer because I would love to stand here and tell you, well, what's most fascinating to me is Jesus, but I'd be lying if I told you that. A year ago, uh, my answer to that question was this, what fascinated me the most were thoughts on how good life would be if I could just have this. What fascinated my mind is what I thought about again and again, if I could just have this taken care of in my life. I would be so much better. And what fascinated my mind is if I could go here, if I could be part of this, or if this person would think this way of me, then I would be so much better. That's what fascinated me. I didn't like that, uh, and that's where I'm growing away from. But what has been fascinating you? Now, uh, some of you might be familiar with um, uh, Matt Chandler. Uh, He is a pastor in uh, Dallas, Texas written a lot of books, talked about uh, some of these books before. 
but about two and a half years ago, uh, he was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And um, he's been very open uh, about uh, that battle there. Uh, woke up one morning, had a seizure, uh, woke up the next time, and he had brain surgery. They found a, an, a tumor that was taken over his brain. And his diagnosis was, you've got about two to three years to live. Uh, we're going to get the tumor out, and we're going to pump your body full of chemo, uh, and hopefully some of these things will help. But it's a good chance you've got two or three years to live. Uh, and one of the things that's been encouraging to me about paying attention uh, to his journey, especially his journey with cancer, by the way, he's doing well now, but he also knows that it could come back at any moment. Uh, in a book that uh, he wrote, uh, co-authored, called Recovering Redemption, this is what he said about what is fascinating him. It's him. It's not the favorable resolution of our problems. It's him. It's not the removal of every worst-case scenario. It's him. Not an easy, breezy, adversity-free lifestyle. It's him. It's always been and will always be him. And I was so challenged by that. It wasn't what's fascinating to me most is if I could be cancer-free. That's not what's, what matters most. Or if my life would be free of complications and adversity and pain and trials. And that's not what's most fascinating. I love how he just simply said, it's him. It's always been and it will always be him. If Jesus is going to be a piece or part of your thoughts, uh, then what will be most fascinating to you uh, is the thoughts in your mind that we entertain if I could just have this in my life. But if Jesus is going to be all of your thoughts, what will be most fascinating to you is the gospel. And I wanted to uh, read some scripture to you from the book of Romans. And I'm growing in this. And I mean this sincerely. What's most fascinating to me right now is Jesus and who he is, what he's done, and how much he loves me. Like, it is fascinating to me when I read these verses, when I read the story of Scripture, of what God has done to communicate, to demonstrate to me how greatly loved I am by him. This is Romans uh, chapter 8. What then shall we say about wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare his, uh, even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Verse 37, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, I'm fascinated by that. I am fascinated with the truth that no matter what my life looks like, no matter what circumstances happening in my life, nothing, including me, could ever separate me from how much I am loved by God. That is fascinating to me. And as I grow in my fascination with that gospel, with the good news of how great my mind is being renewed, my mind is being transformed, no longer settling for the worry, the anxieties, the fears, uh, the doubts, the, the lust, but I am fascinated with who God is and what God has done. He goes on in Romans chapter 12, two verses. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you 
to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind uh, he finds acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. In light of all that God has done, let all of these things, let God use these things to transform you, who you are. Let these truths of the gospel of how greatly loved you are transform the way you think. So the way that I think is driven by a fascination with the gospel. Psalm uh, 77, uh, I just read it this uh, on Thursday. Uh, I wrote down in my journal, it is difficult to be fascinated with that which we forget. Now, I realize not everyone here is a journaler, uh, and that's okay. There's hope for you yet. And I know for some people, Michael, I'm too busy. I don't like it. It's ridiculous. It's too girly. I don't like to journal. Uh, and for me, I can say that one of the things that God has used in my life over the past many, many years uh, is the gift of writing down and remembering what God's done for me. Because if you're anything like me, I forget. I can forget what Jesus just did three days ago. The thing that I was so excited about, I'm like, I cannot believe, that's amazing. And then someone asked me, hey, how was your week? That was all right. But yet three days ago, I was so enamored and amazed with what God had done. And so one of the things that has been helpful for me is writing these things down. And if you saw my journal, uh, it's not a full-blown story. It's bullet points. My thoughts, ideas, things that I'm excited about, things that I'm struggling with, things that I've been challenged by. Uh, but one of the things that encourages me in Scripture is uh, there's a man named King David in the Old Testament, and he was a journaler. And thousands of years later, we can look back in what is called the Psalms. In many ways, this was his journal, and he said this. But then I recall all you've done. Now, this is verse 11, and if you read verses 1 through 10, what David was saying, God, is where are you? Like, why do I feel so alone? Why have you abandoned me? Like, God, I can't, where are you right now? That's what verse 1 through 10 is. But then verse 11, he says, but then I recall all you've done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. I would encourage you. And if you don't have a journal, we've got journals for you. Stop by the Welcome Center on your way out tonight as a gift from us to you. Start journaling so that, like you, even if you're having a hard time piecing thoughts, ideas about what God has done, and you want to grow in a fascination with Jesus and his gospel and his love, you can say, but they're constantly on my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about what you've done. So that's been helpful to me, a growing fascination with the gospel. The second thing that has been helpful to me in cultivating a mind of Christ is, number two, filled with the word of God. The reality is your mind is going to be filled with something. It's just a question. Are you filling your mind with things that are helpful? Are you filling your mind with things that are healthy? Are you filling your mind with things that are honoring to God, honoring to the people uh, that are around you? We will fill our minds. It's just a question of what will you fill your minds with? For years, I filled my mind with just junk. Just filled it with just junk. I didn't treat it as a gift. But the thing that has been incredibly helpful is every day spending time in God's word. And this is my challenge. This is my encouragement to you tonight is 15 minutes every day this week. Just open your Bible and say, God, would you speak? 
even if you don't know where to start, start in the Psalms. Pick one of the Gospels. Take 15 minutes this week every day and say, God, I want to fill my mind with what you have to say. Just 15 minutes. And I don't mean this in a rude way, but sometimes people say, well, Michael, you don't know my life and my schedule. I'm really, really busy. And I say this very lovingly. None of us are that busy. None of us are that important that we can't take 15 minutes of our day and say, God, would you speak? And I'd encourage you to do this in the morning. And if you have to be somewhere, then get up 15 minutes extra or earlier so you can spend that, that moment filling your mind with what God has to say. I would please encourage you to do that this week. I promise you, if I asked you a week from now, how did it go filling your mind? I, I promise you'll come back and say, it was amazing what God put in my mind and what I was thinking about all week. For me, I shared this with our leadership team this past Monday night, but what I've been thinking about, what I filled my mind and I just have not been able to stop thinking is Psalm 27, verse 8. This is King David in his journal. He says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Every day this week I've been thinking about, this is what God has been saying, Michael, come and talk with me, sit with me, be with me. And I've been thinking and chewing over, what is my response to God? How many times do I say to God, I want to, but I'm really busy. When I get finished with this series of emails or this series of projects, then I will come and sit and talk with you. So as you fill your mind with the thoughts of God that he's given us in scripture, you will be thinking and dwelling upon those things. Spurgeon said it very well. The more you read the Bible and the more you meditate on it, meaning the f- you think upon it, the more you will be astonished with it. I promise you, as you spend time every day, every day in the word of God, you will grow in astonishment with God using his word to fill your mind. And the third thing that's been very helpful to me, encouraging to me, challenging to me, is the first one was fascinated with the gospel, then filled with the word, and the last one is fixed upon eternity. Fixed upon eternity. When our minds dwell on the here and now, we get crazy. When we're obsessed with thinking about what's happening right now, what's happening in front of me, and what I can see, what I can touch and feel, and I'm not saying it's wrong to think about those things, but when that's all we think about, when we are obsessed with the here and now, we think crazy and we do crazy. Uh, And what I mean by that is Peter, okay? Great example in scripture. Uh, Jesus says to Peter and the other disciples, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be denied. Ultimately, I'm going to be murdered. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. Now, Peter's response to what Jesus said is, "Uh uh-uh, not on my watch. That's not going to happen to you. There's no way that I will ever let anyone do those things to you. Never. Not going to happen. And in Mark chapter 8, this is Jesus' response to Peter. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And I wonder how much of my mind is just set on the things of man. How much of my mind is just set on the things of the here and the now, what I can see, what I can comprehend. Peter could not comprehend Jesus doing what he said he was going to do. His mind was on the things of man. We need a savior to save us here and now. But Jesus said, that's not what I've come to do. 
my question for all of us would be, how much of what consumes your thoughts is on the actual here and now, as opposed to being consumed with things that will last throughout eternity? Colossians 3 says it very well. Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then catch this part. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's Paul's way of saying, if you're going to think about something, think about eternity. Think about eternal things. Think about because Jesus is not part of your life, a piece of your life, he is your life. Think about things that will last through eternity, not the things that won't last, not the things that will perish, not the things that will just fall to the wayside. Don't be consumed with that. If Jesus is your life, set your mind on the things above, not on the things below. I've got a long way to go. Uh, I've got a long way to go in Jesus not just being a piece or part of my thoughts, but having all of my thoughts. But I know the direction I'm going, and those are some things that have been really helpful for me, a growing fascination with the gospel, filling my mind with the word of God, and fixing my thoughts. Not just some of them are part of them, but fixing my mind on heaven and the reality of eternity. Investing my mental energies, not on just here and now, but on things that will last forever. 